Welcome to What's Your Forte, the interview series presented by Bandology. Bandology is a proud Canadian nonprofit dedicated to more music for more kids via education, collaboration, and community. Hello, everyone. My name is Lucas Redwood, and I'm the manager of Music and Learning with Bandology. I'm joined here today with Steve Butterworth, Vice President of the Musical Instruments Division for Yamaha Canada Music. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm great. Thanks for having me here, uh, Lucas and Bandology folks. Thanks for joining us. So my first question for you is, when did you first start playing music? And a bit of background about uh, you as a musician as well. Sure. So I started, uh, my first real musical experience was in grade two at Pauline Johnson Public School here in Burlington. We didn't have much music going on at all. I recall there was a music room with a beat up piano and a bunch of old books with covers torn off that we kind of sang from. But a magic thing happened in grade two. We got a new vice principal, Mr. Carl Hamilton showed up. And in Canada at that time, there was a ukulele program created by a person from Nova Scotia by the name of Chalmers Doan. You may know his daughter, Melanie Doan, who's a pop singer and proponent. And long story short, Carl was a proponent of this Chalmers Doan ukulele program. He brought it to our school. As I recall, there was four classes of maybe 30 kids, so 120 ukuleles. And oh, wow. we got the, the ukuleles were made in Canada. They were made in Nova Scotia and they were triangle shaped, so they're easy to make. And so anyways, yeah, I, I really love ukulele because I think it's a great instrument to, to learn about music and to learn music because you're, you're working on harmony, you're singing melody, you're working on rhythm. So it's a great all around. So I still have my ukulele and all of my books and I break it out once in a while. So yeah, I, I also took accordion at the same time. I wanted to play guitar, but someone at the conservatory said guitar was full. So my parents signed me up for accordion. And I loved the teacher, but I just didn't understand the instrument um, at the time. Like the black and white keys were pretty easy because we were mainly playing white keys at the beginning. But those 120 buttons on the left side, I think if someone had explained to me what they all are, which I know now, I might have stuck with it. So, but um, yeah, and then, my, uh, you know, I did ukulele through uh, elementary school. And then from grade six, we moved over to Frontenac Public School. We had a great music teacher there. Her name was Ann Clifton. She's my friend on Facebook. Um, and so I got started there, not in grade seven. Somehow I missed the opportunity to sign up for band, but in grade eight, I joined. And the folks from at the time, long time ago, uh, Cosmo Music came out and brought out instruments for everyone to try. And I made a big noise on a euphonium and that was it. I was hooked. We played great tunes like theme from Hogan's Heroes and uh, theme from Dallas and lots of uh, fun music. And then I got, went to Nelson High School. And what was cool at Nelson back in the day was you had day one and day two. And so the grade nine music class was all brass with percussion or all woodwinds with string basses. So in your first year, you really focused on brass. And for the woodwinds, they got all the attention they needed on all the differences between their instruments. And then, uh, um, yeah, and then just, you know, played in the youth band, the jazz band, got into the, the concert band and jazz works at Nelson. It was a really fun time. At the same time, I joined the teen tour band on Euphonium. So I was playing at school three days a week, maybe twice a day, and then on the weekends and Wednesday nights with the band. So I was playing a lot of music. And one of the fun things, 
I'll talk about a bit later was in grade 10, Mr. Hayslip came to our school, Jim Hayslip, he's an instructor at the Teen Tour Band, and I noticed he had a tuba in his office, so I was kind of looking at that, and for some reason, no, none of the tuba players continued from grade 9 to grade 10, so first day of band class in grade 10, he says, Steve, go get my tuba. I thought, oh, he's going to play the tuba, and he says, I go to hand it to him, he says, no, no, sit down, you, you play the tuba. I said, well, I don't play the tuba. He says, well, sure you do. You'll figure it out. I'll get play your baritone music today. I'll, I'll get you tuba music tomorrow. And so I now I play the tuba. And then the next year he says, oh, we need someone to play valve trombone in the jazz band. Okay, I do that. And then the next year he says, oh, we need someone to play bass trombone. Here, take this bass trombone home and this book and figure it out. And I said, I don't play the bass trombone. And he said, well, sure, you, you'll, you'll figure it out. And so I really got a lot of encouragement from both my high school teachers and from Mr. Allen and the Teen Tour Band who gave me opportunities uh, to try new things. So as a musician, I'm a low brass player. I play some string bass. So I enjoy, I would, I, maybe I'm a bit of a jack of all trades of master of none, but for me, I like that. When I was in the Navy band, sometimes I go to rehearsal and there was a couple of us that played all the low brass instruments. So I'd be like, what do you want to play this week? I don't want to carry the tuba on parade. You take the tuba. And so gave a lot of variety. So, so that's sort of my, my journey up to, you know, to the end of high school. After high school, I went to Humber College in the jazz program, played bass trombone and tuba, learned a lot there. And then I finished school. I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? And I'd started working at the music store in Burlington. It was called Lakeshore Music at the time before Long McQuaid. And I learned a lot. I worked full time in the I worked part time in the store while I was going to college, and then I worked full time for a year. And then I really decided I want to teach. I want to be a high school band teacher. And so I went back to school as a mature student at McMaster, and we had a really nice, uh, small but really nice group of uh, students that went through that together. And some people that are still my friends to get today. And so I was finishing up around uh, the spring of 1996. I was waiting to hear about what teacher's college I might go into. And then this, my mom, I went to visit my mom and dad and there was this ad in the paper for a job at Yamaha. And so that's been 25 years since then. Um, and so I continued to play. Um, I'll, we'll talk about that a bit more, but uh, you know, I think that was sort of my journey to being working at Yamaha and uh, and kind of my my upbringing, I had a, I was very fortunate to have a lot of opportunity. That's awesome, Steve. Uh, thanks for sharing that uh, that info about your uh, background. And you mentioned uh, now you're you're working with uh, Yamaha, and you've been doing that for quite a long time. So can you uh, describe a bit about your role with uh, Yamaha? Sure. Yeah. So today I'm really responsible for our sales and marketing team at Yamaha Canada Music. And we look after all of the musical instruments, all the pro audio, meaning recording equipment, and also live sound equipment for large venues and small venues, and also music schools. Some of you may not know that Yamaha has music school business. And I'm actually, my background here is our corporate music school up here in Markham. And so we have a team, we have about 100 employees in Canada. And for my team, we have a team of nearly 30, I call them musician marketers. Um, we all mostly come from a background of uh, music or music education. Um, many of us worked in music retail stores. That's kind of the common path to get into the wholesale or, or the manufacturer side of this industry for musical products. So many of us worked in music stores or were professional musicians uh, in the past. And so all of the things that we learned by working in the music store or running our own 
um, bands or careers, you know, we developed a lot of business skills. And so when we get to Yamaha, um, we're able to apply, you know, you know, our business sense and our knowledge and our experience, but we can also really understand our customers because we are our own customers. So when someone's having a problem with an instrument, you could understand why, how frustrating that would be. Or if they're trying to solve a problem by trying to get two things to work together that were never designed to work together, you know, how do we really uh, handle and support those customers? And I think the idea is to try and find the best possible combination of, of products to help them figure out what they want to do. So we're, we're a local subsidiary. And so we are fairly autonomous to decide about how we do things. How do we decide to sort of, we're a global company. Yamaha is a very big global company, but we're the local version of that. So we call that global. So how do we take what the company does globally <laughs> and apply it locally in Canada in each unique region where we have different cultures, we have different languages, different styles of music, different music educations, very different province to province, how it's, uh, how it's managed. And so we, we're here to kind of be the local people to understand uh, what's going on and, and how to get things done. And so, you know, we get all the products, we plan all the production, we get all the products come from Asia, Europe, and the United States. And so we have a lot of logistics people that get all the stuff here to Canada. And then our team makes sure it gets out to the music stores and eventually out to schools and, and people's homes. Um, you know, we take care of what we call pre-sales. So people are asking for advice before they buy. And then also post-sales and service. So we have our own repair center here in Toronto as well as many independent repair centers across Canada. Uh, because being able to service and maintain products we sell is a very important part of the puzzle. Even though you make great products, it's a good thing still needs to be maintained. And after you own it many years, maybe it needs to be repaired. Uh, we also create demand um, for our products, but most importantly, we try to focus on creating demand to get more people to want to start and keep playing or producing music. We figured if we make more music makers, eventually people will buy more stuff. And so really that's our focus our, and our approach. You know, We also operate our own Yamaha Music School here in Markham. Um, Yamaha has a teaching curriculum that's really focused on very young children, age of four to eight, when they're really developing their, their ear for language and learning to speak is a perfect time for them to learn about music before they even maybe jump into piano lessons at, or band or at eight or nine or 10. Um, and then we also, wanted, in my area, we also support another 50 independent schools across Canada. And so we have a team um, specialized for this music education that encourages those schools with uh, training, staff support, uh, exams, curriculum. And so I guess at the end of the day, my role is to set the direction at the highest level uh, in the company or next to highest level next to our president in support of the company priorities. And maybe that's to help realize the vision and then just basically make sure everyone on the team in their various roles is aligned to that and that everyone has the resources and support they need to make it happen. So I, awesome. I knock, down, knock down barriers, make sure they've got what they need. And uh, so it's, it's a fun working environment because it's, although it's, it's, it's business, but it's music and it's very creative at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a, a pretty cool uh, working environment. And it's really cool how there's uh, so many different roles uh, within music that that uh, and jobs that come out of music as well, like uh, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, 
So in being a musician yourself, uh, and after you mentioned you uh, went uh, graduated from Humber, I'm actually a student at, at Humber myself now too. Yeah. So um, is, were there any challenges uh, you faced uh, throughout your career from the, from the music uh, side of, of anything? Well, I think, um, I think when I, to be honest, when I went through Humber, I didn't graduate, I should say that. I don't have my diploma. There was a teacher strike in the third year and I, I decided to take a job in the, in the Navy band in the summer, so I didn't finish. But I did go on to McMaster and finish my degree there. But, you know, I think I was a little naive, to be honest. Uh, when I went through the program, I wasn't like motivated to get my diploma. I was motivated to be there to play. I was a, I was a good high school musician, I think not to, but you know, I was solid. Uh, everyone needs a tuba, everyone needs a bass trombone. So I, I got a lot of opportunities to play a lot. And unfortunately that was to the detriment of my, perhaps uh, attending some of the other courses. I should have been attending. <laughs> but that was my motivation at that time was just play, 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 play as much as possible. Because not necessarily, like a certificate at that time from Humber didn't necessarily buy you a ticket to a job. It, it prepared you to work in the freelance market, in the uh, in shows and things like that. So really, playing was the most important thing. But as I got a little older, and matured, you know, I, I decided to go back to Mac, and I, I I I finished there. But I think it's some of it is really thinking about, you know, opportunity to play, especially of course the last year and a half. The opportunity to play with others has not been there really at all. I've had one rehearsal with my Dixieland band back in uh, October and that was it then the variants started going up and or the you know cases started going up and the guys in the band are a little older than even me and so you know we were cautious but I think you know finding time in my personal life to make you know make time to play music on my own or with others especially once I started working at Yamaha because my job at Yamaha I was traveling half the year uh, I was away from home like 25, 26 weeks a year. And so it's hard to, and, and a lot of my my territory when I first started was Ontario. So I was responsible for selling band instruments and percussion to all the music stores in Ontario, uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And then pretty quickly they gave me Alberta as well. So I was covering half the country. And you know, you can't travel with the tuba that much because I would fly to Winnipeg then go to fly to Regina, then fly, drive to Saskatoon, then fly to Edmonton, drive to Calgary and fly home. I would do that trip every six weeks. And so what I started doing, and because I made a lot of friends when I was in the Navy band, um, you know, I used to travel with my trombone and tuba mouthpiece. And with the help of the local store manager and education salespeople, or some of my friends from the days in the Royal Canadian Navy band, I figured out which nights in which cities had community bands or big bands that would welcome me to sit in. And so my, for my first seven years at Yamaha, I'd borrow a horn from the store, or if they were rehearsing at a school, there was something to use. So I would conduct business with the stores during the day and maybe visit a high school or university, then grab dinner and then go off to sit in with a local band. And I did that for seven years. And uh, so it was a way to keep the, any horn on my face so that when I, I was still playing in the Navy Reserve Band part-time um, and we'd rehearse on Tuesday, nights and and you know have some gigs here and there so that was most of what my playing was but you know it was really interesting because i was able to quickly meet and befriend many music teachers who actively play in these bands as well as all the amateur and pro musicians in each city uh there's often socializing after the rehearsal 
And I think back to those days and they really set me up for success in knowing each local market really well, who the movers and shakers were. And I made a lot of, a lot of great friends along the way. And who doesn't need an extra trombone or tuba in their band? So I, I really, um, you know, I really learned a lot from, uh, maybe I learned more about playing in the local bands about each difference in each city about the scene than even just visiting the music stores. So um, I think also, you know, the, uh, so just, yeah, just the opportunity to play. And, you know, I think that, um, um, yeah, just finding the opportunity. So now I've got a, I've got a son, he's joining the Burlington Junior Redcoats. Uh, I've been working from home. We're slowly getting back to the office. So, and I will eventually start traveling again. So I have to make sure that I create a plan to keep the horn on my face and, and find a way to, to play with others. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are you, uh, I think Lisa Michaels, Bandology's co-founder mentioned you're a member of the Cosmo Funk Band. Are you still uh, doing, doing that? Anything with them? Uh, sure. Yeah. The Cosmo Soul Express is the official name of the band. And basically it's a band that was formed mostly by Cosmo, Cosmo staff. But when they formed the band, and the, the idea was they would uh, put on a show at the annual Ontario Music Educators Association Conference, which happens in November. And so I was honored to be asked to play trombone because they didn't have a trombone player on staff that liked to play this style of music. And I love to play that style of music. So uh, I was really honored. We play really hard charts. We play original charts from like Chicago and Earth, Wind and & Fire and all those bands. Um, a couple of the guys in the band write the charts and customize them. So we don't necessarily just play the cover. We might play a really cool arrangement of the cover. Uh, it's extremely difficult playing, so I love it. And the band used to rehearse six weeks to do a two-hour, three-hour show. Now we have over 100 charts in the book. And we, for the last couple of years, we've just done two rehearsals and then the show because everyone in the band can read charts, uh, everyone. And, you know, so it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to go and execute something at the high level. So this past year, obviously, the OMEA conference was canceled in person. So this Cosmo Soul Express band did two YouTube videos, which were shared with the OMEA conference. And you can find those on uh, YouTube, as well as a bunch of other ones. Um, but I think, you know, from the, so that's not my mate. So Cosmo is kind of like something that pops up once in a year, and I love doing it. Um, but, you know, if I think, how do I define myself, you know, after being a husband and father and a son and a brother, you know, I'm a musician first still. I'm a musician, maybe music teacher second, and then sales and marketing person is maybe third of how I would identify myself. And actually, if you, if you talk to Jack Long, who founded Long McQuaid, he might tell you, yeah, I'm a trumpet player. I happen to have a bunch of music stores, you know, like Jack still uh, a lot of them kicking and in great shape and, and, you know, loves music and has been a big encourager. So he looks at himself that way too. And I think that, uh, you know, so the other groups that I've been in for the last number of years, um, I still play with a 10 piece band, which is called community soul it used to be called community soul project. We figured after 10 years, it was no longer a project. So it'd just be community soul. And that's a lot of people other than we have one music teacher in the horn section, Troy, shout out to Troy, Troy Jones, anyone know Troy Jones. He's a great guy. He plays Barry Sachs, brings a lot to the band. But everyone else in the band pretty much uh, were professional musicians or close to professional musicians when they were younger. But we all work in business. So we have people that work at IBM Finance. We have people that are like chief creative marketing officer for major, major advertising and, and uh, media firms in Canada. And so it's we come together originally 
to play music for not-for-profit events and organizations and help them raise money. But we've had some fun shows too, where we got to open for one of my favorite bands called Tower of Power. We opened for them at the Rochester Jazz Festival. Um, got to hang out. I know, I know the guys because they're Yamaha artists. And so, but the other guys in my band got to hang out with them backstage before and after the show. We watched the show from the monitor board on the side, which is my favorite place to watch a band. And we also opened for a band, maybe some of you guys might, some of you younger guys might know uh, a group called Fits in the Tantrums. They've had a few uh, hits. So we opened for them at some big festival. It's amazing to step onto a stage and see 5,000 people in an audience. Yeah. They, you know, mainly there to see the, the main act, but to hear them and feel them react to you is really exciting. And then, um, yeah, other things I do musically lately, I, I retired from the Navy band when my, my son was born. And so that was a great experience. If you're interested in a career in music, joining the Naval or Army or Air Reserve Band in your local city can be a great way to continue playing through, uh, if you go to university, so many people stop playing. Like you get to such a high level in high school and so many people just give up playing because maybe they're going off and taking another degree in sciences or engineering or something. But I really encourage you to find a way to keep playing through university. Most universities have uh, a concert band or something that's for non-music majors so find a way get a horn or keep your horn no don't take the horn from your school but you know like get something and keep playing um but these reserve bands pay you to take musical training and give you a summer job so that was an amazing experience for me for 21 years um but then the last band i've, I've been playing in the newest band i guess that i've been in for about five years uh when i was at nelson we had a dixieland band called lady hamilton's boys and we won the most outstanding jazz combo at Music Fest 1987. And wow. so we had a, we had this Dixieland band all the way, I think it was grade 11, 12, 13. And we were busy. We making 50 bucks a gig. And when you're a teenager, that was pretty good um, playing our horns. And uh, so I'm playing in a band now that's called Suburban Street, which is a bunch of friends from the Top Hat Marching Orchestra, some former team tour members. And, uh, you know, we're playing music from 100 years ago. Um, the, the, you know, the onslaught of, uh, of New Orleans music becoming the pop music of the 20s. So that's what I've been doing. I've been, I play the trombone in the funk band and then the sousaphone in the uh, Dixieland band. Very cool. Yeah, it's awesome how you were able to have some, some great experiences in high school still playing uh, in, in some uh, organized uh, bands and ensembles like that. I know Nelson, when I was there too, had a lot of great opportunities and ensembles as well. Um, it, you mentioned earlier with, with Yamaha, there's a, you're at, Yamaha has a, some, a, lot, a number of initiatives, including the, the music, uh, community music, um, a program and ensemble. Um, is there any other initiatives or how is Yamaha supporting community arts organizations? Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, Yamaha has a strong corporate social responsibility mandate. So what does that mean? That sounds like something you read off of the investor's perspective. It is, but it's, you know, we have a role and we are here to create opportunities for people and to encourage organizations by supporting their endeavors and to popularize and promote music education opportunities for all people. So that's what I wake up thinking the first thing in the morning. I don't think about how do we move 50 more boxes of guitars? I think about how do we get more people to start and how do we get more people to keep going? 
And, and often it's just providing opportunity. If you ask someone why they gave up playing piano, oh, well, I moved here and I didn't have a piano anymore, or I didn't you know, have this opportunity, or I went off to university and didn't have opportunity to play in a band. No, let's, you know, we really want to encourage that kind of stuff. Um, so that's sort of our premise. Um, you know, from how we support or community organizations, um, whether it's schools or band festivals or music festivals or after school music programs, you know, we, we generally are, are providing access to instruments. So we loan a lot of percussion for concert band festivals all over Canada, over 60 festivals every year. Um, we make sure there's great pianos at piano festivals and, uh, and for piano exams and things like Kiwanis, you know, we are really involved with that. We also support by buying advertising or doing sponsorship with different organizations that we think are well aligned with our with our mission to help make more music makers. And, um, you know, we also support by sharing our staff's time and expertise with many organizations, uh, providing advice and encouragement for them to reach their goals. I've been on the uh, Canadian Music Industry Education Committee, which supports music educator conferences. So I've been on that for 20 years. Uh, we have another gentleman, Chris Reeser, who you may know. Our percussion guy, Chris, has been, I was a member of the founding board of directors of the Ontario Band Association 20 years ago. And then Chris took over my role 10 years ago. And so we, we try to give back with our time and energy for our staff as well. And you know we we um, you know we really have a responsibility to promote access to quality music education for all people for the whole country. And then if we've done our job right, we will earn our appropriate share of the sales that come from that. So kind of leading with helping and enabling is the way we go, and and it's a lot of fun to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um... Speaking of, of music education, with Bandology, we uh, also try and uh, provide lots of opportunities for young youth and uh, students in the community to perform. Um, a question for you, uh, Steve, is why is music education important to you? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, maybe you might say I'm the fox in the hen house. I, I want more people to take music so I can sell more instruments, but uh, you know, I, I do try and lead with, let's just make more music makers. And so I really believe, and this is my, you know, if it wasn't for music, I probably would have not, well, I would have finished high school, but, you know, like music was the reason I was at high school every day, never miss a rehearsal. Uh, okay, go to English class, science class in between, but music was the place for me in the school. Because in Nelson, we had the large cafeteria and you walk in on your left and you've got the sports people and the jocks and you know and then over here we've got this kind of clique and and the music people we sat in this corner and ate our fries from the cafeteria and uh you know um there's a really great quote i can't remember who said it but it's you know like not everyone there isn't room for everybody on the football team there's only a set number of people a set number of roles it's very competitive um but if you are willing to take you know a, a good uh, effort and willing to learn, pretty much anyone can participate in the school music program. Um, there's almost no limits to who can be, unless you're doing like, okay, brass quintet, you need five brass players. It's kind of really specific, but, you know, I think, you know, we, we want to take the approach that, you know, promoting, we should never have to promote music education beyond, it's just, it's an art form where we can share and communicate and know what it feels like to play music with others. We shouldn't have to, justify it beyond that. But 
in order to get some people to listen, some organizations, you know, we want, we need them to know that, you know, music education in its many forms is, can be very inclusive. Um, it teaches a lot about responsibility, teamwork, creative problem solving, especially what creative problem solving when you're in the middle of a piece and you got a horn in or on your mouth or you're at back at the percussion section, you can't like just yell, hey, wait, everybody, I'm lost. Can we, you know, in the middle of a concert, like you, you're like, you're as a horn player, you're like, am I in tune or is it person over next to me is in tune? I need to make adjustments and we can't say, hey, uh, I know the big section's coming. Am I in tune? No. There's all this kind of nonverbal communication that happens. And you know what? That pays off in other parts of your life. Being aware and sensitive to other people um, and having a good understanding of how you are doing in certain situations. Like view yourself, they call it the third person. So it's like you watching yourself interacting with other people and you kind of critique yourself in a positive way. Like, how did I do there? You know, was I listening? Did I adjust? I can do that better. And so it gives you a healthy viewpoint. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about art, and I, I've had the joy, there's a, there was a, a very famous saxophone player. His name was Phil Woods. Um, he followed Charlie Parker um, in the early bebop days. And uh, Phil was an international artist. I had the great joy of traveling with him a bit. And, you know, he, some students would say, Phil, Phil, you know, how do I, how do I become like you? And he said, well, first of all, if you want to be a musician, a performing musician, you need to throw everything you have into it. You need to practice six hours a day. You need to play with others. You need to play all kinds of different music. You have to, you know, you really throw yourself in. If you've got that, he said, if you've got that fire in your belly, you've got to do it. You've got to find a way to do it. But if you're not sure, but you like playing music, maybe you go on and you get an engineering degree or a, become a doctor and then you can afford to buy all the tubas you want and you can enjoy playing the tuba as a hobby so music doesn't have to mean like studying it is that you're going to go into you know being a performer of course that that's what many people dream of and many people uh, work towards that but i think you know it, it just helps us to appreciate other things and the other thing phil said is in order to appreciate music and understand how you're doing you need to know art you should go to an art gallery and stand there looking at different paintings and take it in. And, you know, maybe, you know, you're with a friend or, or someone you know and, and say, you know, what do you think about this? And so the idea of talking about art or rating art or rating music um, just helps you to develop language to say, here's why I like this music. And this person might say, oh, that's exactly why I don't like this music. And that's okay, we can have different opinions, but we can appreciate each other's point of view. And I think that helps to build empathy between people and understanding. And so by studying music and learning to perform and learning to appreciate, you also perhaps are able to have more inquiry into other creative endeavors, whether it's uh, written word or poetry or, or film or, or, or uh, visual arts. So I think it's, it, yeah, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, the more you can appreciate other people and their cultures, that's going to solve a lot of problems in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so music does become a device to get you there. For sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Steve. 
Um, I have one more um, kind of official question, and then we like to go into our, our little fun fast five questions at the end. Okay. Um, so uh, last question is, um, you have a unique uh, a career path with, with Yamaha, so and, and in that kind of more the merchandising uh, side of things. Uh, any advice for young musicians who might be interested in, in sort of the career path along the lines of, you know, being still active playing music, but doing something more on the business side of, of, of music? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my basic premise is, I, I, it's basically say yes. If someone asks you to take on a new challenge at home or your part-time job or work or school or a club or a team, just say yes. Uh, like Mr. Hayslip said, Steve, go get my tuba. I don't play the tuba. Yes, you do. Sure you can. Um, his belief in me was 90% of what you know convinced me to say, okay, I'll try. And then guess what? I loved playing the tuba. And so that happened for me on different in the musical sense. We need someone to play the bass trombone. We need it's a very important role in the band. Uh, we need that. So we want you to take up, it was almost like I had a sense of citizenship to take this responsibility on. And so when my, and then, so how I got started in musical products was I was hanging out at the music store and the owner at the time, Jack said, you're hanging out, out a lot here. Do you want a job? And before I even thought about it, I said, yes, that'd be great. Could I work part-time? What do you need? You know, and I never worked in a music store. I didn't know like I knew about instruments, but I didn't know the sales process or documentation or anything, but they taught me, I learned. Um, and just through my whole business life at Yamaha, um, and when I was in the Navy Reserve, people asked me to take things, okay, here's my main role, but Steve, you know, so this person left and we can't replace them yet, but we need someone to take this part on. Can you do that? I would most often say yes, and then figure out how to do it later. And either I had a good idea or I had no idea. And you know, you might get into an experience where you say yes and you, you know, you take on this new task. You might figure out that I really don't like this kind of work. But at least you've learned it by saying you've done some of it. And then you can say, listen, I, I'm taking this on, but it's really not for me. Can we find another person? They'll say, yeah, but I okay, but I need you to take on this thing. And then I say yes to that. And that's kind of how I've been able to take, um, take not take advantage of, but take up opportunities that were presented is say yes. And you know, nine times out of 10, uh, every, every time you're gonna learn something, either positive or negative. Um, if you fail, it's your first attempt in learning. Um, I think that's a Dr. Tim thing, Dr. Tim Lotzenheiser. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if someone's asking you to do something, it means they believe in you. So honor them and take them up on it. And I think you'll be surprised where you, you see things take you. That's been my experience. And so now um, I try to do that for others. I do that for others in my team. Um, uh, my 12 and a half year old son, I'm trying to hand off responsibilities for him for certain things. Uh, as he can take them on and uh, or even you know just other people in other organizations I know you know because you know you, that's sort of what I feel responsible to give back is to create other opportunities for those people too. Absolutely yeah 
All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, we're going to, uh, just before we uh, sign off here, I have a little set of uh, fast five questions that I'd, uh, we usually like to do. So here we go with the first fast five question. What is your favorite movie soundtrack? Okay. Well, I can't have one, but how about just three? Sure. Uh, Star that's Wars. It. Star <laughs> Wars. I met the lead trumpet player, Maurice Murphy, in Calgary in 2008. It was his first day on the job when they walked in to record that. No, oh, wow. Read it. They sight read it. Wow. Um, Blues Brothers was very transformational for me. It was uh, grade nine. My friends and I sat in the basement trying to lift all the horn parts from tape. Uh, eventually we did. And then, you know, one that's really a lot of fun and beautiful music is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? by Coen Brothers, if you know mm. that, that music. Very, um, great harmony. Nice. Yeah, I love I love the Blues Brothers. It's, it's yeah. amazing soundtrack. Yeah. Um, how about instrument you wish you played? Uh, definitely a harmony instrument like piano or guitar. Definitely. I have some. I have a piano. I have guitars. I just. I have a guitar behind me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about hidden talent? Mm, hidden talent. It's well for the a tight circle of people that know me. I have a really strong recollection recollection of facts and figures. Um, I can remember specifications of a trumpet, you know, I sold twenty five years ago. Or I might not be able to if I met you at Music Fest. I might not be able to remember your name, but I'll remember you were holding a YTR twenty three thirty with an eleven C four mouthpiece. So like stuff like that. I'm like got this number thing. So yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, dream vacation spot. Okay, so like we're very fortunate to have a family cottage uh, between Kingston and Ottawa. So that's our focus as a family for a vacation. But um, if I were to go on a vacation by myself, uh, I believe I have a couch to sleep on and a sousaphone to borrow at a friend's house in New Orleans. So just go down to New Orleans and play music out on the streets for a week. And then, uh, and then might, might be ultimately uh, ultimate family vacation is take my family to Japan because I've been 25 plus times and I want to share it with them. It's an amazing place. Yes, absolutely. That, uh, yeah. And finally, uh, last one is favorite concert you attended. Hmm. Definitely anytime I can see Tower of Power, I, it's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. But probably one of the most uh, engaging concerts was when the Simone Bolivar Youth Orchestra from Venezuela performed at the Rogers Center in Toronto back 10 years ago uh, to 40,000 uh, school students. That was amazing. It's an unbelievable orchestra. And they played all kinds of music from um, Bernstein's uh, West Side Story, Mambo, to uh, Tchaikovsky's Four. Oh, yeah. Um, it was super, and it's a giant orchestra. It's like maybe 250 people, not like 110. So, but uh, those were those would be uh, my highlights. Very cool. Yeah, must have must have been fun. Uh, open uh, once in a lifetime opportunity or experience uh, opening for uh, for ta uh, Tower of Power. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? <laughs> They're the nicest people you'll ever meet. Everyone in the band is super friendly. And was was uh, David uh, Garibaldi in the in the band at that time? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. David's pre-show routine is he sits in a corner with a metronome and a practice pad, quietly warming up and focusing, you know? Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun to, to, to know those guys through Yamaha, but then to get to share a stage with them was like you said, once in a lifetime. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for taking the time, speaking a bit about your experience with uh, Yamaha as well as as a musician. Thanks very much, Lucas. And I just encourage everyone, you know, encourage each other, keep playing. Um, and if you get into a place where you can encourage more people to play, do it. We need more music. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Steve. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you heard, you can learn more about our organization at bandology.ca, which features information about music education, advocacy and research, and our play a gig and band camp programs. Follow us on social media for more videos, performance and interviews on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.